This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Astrum Lux Lucis. All right, welcome to another episode of On the Record. I am your host, Astrum Lux Lucis, and this week's very special guest is a music industry legend. She sang and toured with Pink Floyd, the Rolling Stones, and Rod Stewart. She's performed on the Grammys with Lou Reed. She's worked with Nile Rodgers. Her father worked with Martin Luther King Jr. and former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt frequently invited him to the White House, and he eventually became a special assistant to President Franklin D. Roosevelt on the problems of discrimination in the U.S. Air Force. And her mother was also an amazing human being, who was a talented musician, as well as one of the first female African-American medical students to complete graduate studies at both UCLA and USC, and went on to become an accomplished cardiologist and specialist in preventative medicine. Wow, it's no wonder this lady has accomplished all she has and is still accomplishing. Please welcome Lorelai McBroom. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Great. It's very nice to be here yeah. with you today. Yeah, it's so great to have you. I'm so honored to be speaking with you. It's just reading your bio and, and your history and, and your your legacy is just, it's it's all inspiring. It's amazing. And um, I'm eager to, to dig into your life and, and see how you created all this for yourself. And the first <laughs> question I usually ask everybody is, the little girl with a dream, like who was that and what inspired you to get into the music industry? I know you've had a musical history or a musical family, um, but there's also been some medical, you know, medical, medical side of things and an activism, which you've incorporated into your current life as well. But what made you to decide to pursue music? Well, initially as a child, um, at like age four, I started taking piano lessons. My mother had been a concert pianist before she went into medicine. So um, between her interest in music and my father exposing me quite often to all different styles of music, which he very much loved as well, um, the music was just around. So I was quite good on the piano, and I started doing recitals at age six. And my father had two uh, still has. We, I have two older sisters from his first marriage, and they were entertainers. They danced um, at the Met in New York when they were teenagers in um, a stage production of Aida featuring Leontine Price, the legendary black opera singer. And um, I wanted to be like my big sisters and perform. So that was my initial um, inspiration to want to be up on stage um, I started playing guitar and working with a folk troupe, um, these two wonderful lesbian ladies, a black and white woman, the, uh, Harriet and Molly, and they used to take us to different schools and we'd sing and perform. So that got me into the whole idea of singing and being on stage. But to be honest with you, in my initial uh, interest was to be an actress. I loved acting, and then I had an embarrassing experience on stage as a teenager where the lead actor and I, I was also lead, kissed me on stage 
but he went a little further than I expected. <laughs> it was an embarrassment <laughs> that kind of turned me off to acting. So I thought, well, I also love dance, which I was studying as well. Um, but I thought I'll make more money if I pursue music. And that's how I ended up pursuing the singing. Wow. And just that mindset right there, I'll make more money pursuing music. Like I came from an upbringing where it was like, oh, music, why do you want to do that? There's no money in that. Everybody's on drugs and you have a better chance Uh of winning the lottery than you do of becoming a rock star. (laughs) So, you know, I've kind of had in the back of my head, like, you know, music is a hobby only. You can never make money at it. So it's interesting to see how you had that mindset, but you also had, family members who were successful in music to model that for you and for your other family um, members. My siblings that, uh, you know, my sisters that were professional entertainers, that was definitely an inspiration. Also my father and their mother had had a school in New York called the Lee Mack school where they actually had students, um, who became quite famous, like Harry Belafonte used to work quite a bit with Mm. um, her. Her name is Marie. Uh, She was um, a Juilliard-trained classical pianist, and she did accompaniments for Harry. Um, They had Sidney Poitier there, Sammy Davis Jr. So this whole thing about being in the entertainment business, being around music, Charlie Parker had been a very good friend of my father's. Um, It was natural. So yeah. uh, I felt very supported. Um, I did come from a middle-class family, so my mother was able to uh, provide lessons for me. I took dance lessons. I took, like I said, piano. I took guitar. I took voice lessons. So all of those things helped quite a bit. I didn't feel the pressure that I had to go directly out of high school and get a job. I was able to go into learning about the music business because my mother was very much afraid of the drug, sex, and rock and roll part of it. And she Mm -hmm. really discouraged me when I first wanted to do gigs when I was in high school from doing them. However, she said, you have to go to school, and if you learn the business that you're in, you know, that's the best way to go. And I'm very grateful she made me go to um, some courses they had at UCLA featuring the music business, um, and they had people teaching those courses who were actually professionals in the industry, and that was a tremendous uh, learning for me and gave me an advantage later uh, when I was not singing, but I wanted to continue to kind of keep at least a foot in the business, so I was able to do work behind the scenes, um, promoting um, concerts and working in production and whatnot. Again, that was my mother's influence, and it's also led me to have my own company. I have a, a company called McBroom Media, um, and I'm planning to do a few cool things with that as the years progress. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, this is your host, Astrum Luxlusis. Did you know this show is totally funded by donations and sponsors? Yes, listener support and sponsor ads is how On the Record stays on the air. I've produced and hosted over 40 shows since July of 2015, and next month marks our one-year anniversary. It also marks contract renewal time, and I need to raise $12,000 to keep On the Record on the air for another year. 
If you've enjoyed the amazing conversations I've shared with some of the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then please consider making a donation or buying a sponsor spot today. Contact me at ashtram at ontherecord.rocks for more information. Again, that's ashtram at ontherecord.rocks. Help me keep On The Record on the air for another year. Never has there been a better time for women to hack success. The shift is on and the breakthroughs are real. We're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. Bring your A-game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back and we're speaking with Lorelai McBroom. What were your beliefs around your yourself kind of maybe well, in like high school years? Um, I, again, come from a very unique family in that, um, as you mentioned about my parents, my parents were very accomplished people. They did not come from money. They both worked very hard. Uh, my mother actually achieved enough scholarships because she was a straight-A student that she was able to put herself and her sister through college, and my aunt was a teacher, um, and my father was also an educator. So this idea of having um, a positive environment of tremendous support for whatever my goals were. I have uh, also my sister Durga is an entertainer. She sings, get her into um, the music business by bringing her along with me to um, record on an album I was doing. And she worked with Pink Floyd as well and ended up consequently working with them from the beginning in 1987 when we first joined until she sang on the Endless River, their last album. So uh, we've always had uh, this sense that whatever it is that you think you can do, pursue it because you can. That was very much my father's motto. Um, He always talked about keep your eye on the prize. Uh, But in addition to that, we had from my mother's side, a tremendous spiritual support. My mother um, got us into meditation and self-awareness trainings when we were teenagers. Well, actually, my sister was even younger. I was about 13 when I was first exposed to um, EST, which was an extension of uh, a course called Mind Dynamics, and a man named Werner Erhard started the EST uh, seminar program, which was basically... Uh, about self-awareness, doing processes to kind of look at how you be yourself versus the way you really are. And one of the most powerful experiences I had in that was a teen training. When I was a teenager, they took us up into the um, mountains in Northern California, and we were on a special diet. We had to run, you know, a certain amount of, um, it wasn't like miles, but we had to do a run every morning, (laughs) and we had this part in the beginning, they videotaped us, walk camera, say your name and walk away. And then after the days of training and looking at ourselves and understanding the way we think and how experiences we have affected our point of view, they videotaped us again. And it was unbelievable how much we had all changed in our sense of self-confidence and the way we projected ourselves physically. And I remember thinking that I wasn't really very attractive as a teenager. Um, 
when the thing started, but when I looked at it after going through those days, I really saw a pretty girl, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. So having that sense of self-confidence, self-awareness, and self-love is something that I grew up learning about, looking for, and uh, kind of becoming a part of the way I view life. Wow, that's amazing. That uh, that's just so amazing because, like, I'm I'm coming to that kind of philosophies and, and things like that, you know, at, mm-hmm. in in my mid forties, you know. And so I'm like, if I would have known when I was like your age, <laughs> you know. Well, the thing of it is, uh, is that even though I had that advantage, um, most definitely, it was still frustrating that I couldn't get everything I wanted the way I wanted it. I um, had been pursuing a record deal. I got a record deal. I was able to get Nile Rogers as my producer, and we co-produced a record for Capitol, but my album didn't come out. So that was a, a tremendous frustration. I met Pink Floyd while I was working on that album, and thankfully when I lost my record deal, they lost one of their singers. So I was able to go back on tour with them and do um, some very historic concerts, working with them in Moscow, and um, we did live in Venice where they rented a barge and they put a stage on the barge in front of St. Mark's Square. That was fabulous. Mm. Um, And after that uh, was when I met the Rolling Stones. So thankfully I was still able to perform, but that was not really my goal. I really wanted to be a solo artist. And I met my son's father while I was working with the Stones. So I quit touring completely to be a, a mother to our son. Like three years later, I had a baby. Um, and so that took me in a completely different direction for that time of focusing on being a human being and being a parent and being a mother and not being a rock star, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some people are like, wow, I can't believe you did that. But for me, it was a natural thing to do. So I feel hmm. that you have to be able to have a well-rounded perspective on life. Yes, we have career goals. We want to do great things, but we also have to keep, in mind what we're giving to the planet on another level. And since I brought a son into the world, I wanted a decent son. And in order to Mm, be a good parent, I felt I needed to dedicate more of my focus on him. So for me, you know, it's funny because I had my first astrological reading when I was 16. And the man told me that I was basically going to be a late bloomer. He said things won't really get going for you until like your late 20s and that as you get older, your life will get better. And he was absolutely right because now I'm in my late 50s and I see how my perspective on things has certainly matured, but it's easier for me to flow with the way things are than when I was younger. I was very impatient and I wanted it now. And um, even though I certainly accomplished great things, I had so much more in mind. So it's a... Uh, an ongoing process of acceptance, having gratitude, but also continuing to push for what you really want. Let's check out this amazing clip of Lorelai McBroom singing Great Gig in the Sky with the Aussie Pink Floyd Band. Tonight we've got something special. We've got a couple of uh, talented sisters who actually performed with Pink Floyd themselves on the uh, Moment Relax Reason and Division Bell Tour. So before we do the next song, I just want to introduce... Laurelie and Durga McBrew.
Wow, that was amazing. That was Lorelai McBroom singing Great Gig in the Sky with the Aussie Pink Floyd Band. What are some things that you did to get through those times that were kind of frustrating or maybe even disappointing or even like fear-based kind of things? Well, um, one wonderful thing that happened to me was I met our mutual friend, um, Jay Lane, and um, Mm -hmm. Jay's a medium and she's also um, kind of like a, a coach in the sense that she's very good at helping, if she helped me focus on what my real goals were. And um, once I was able to go back to touring, uh, my son encouraged me when he turned 16 to do it. Jay's the kind of person who would encourage me to visualize what I want to start manifesting it. And I literally did that. I was like, wow, what am I going to do? And I used to listen to this old, um, it's a rock and roll station in California. They play like old R&B and rock and roll classic stuff. And they're number Hmm. one. And I used to listen to them driving my son to school every day. So I called the station, or emailed the station, sorry, and uh, told the DJ what I'd done and who I was. And he didn't get back to me. So I thought, okay, he's going to be at this event coming up. I'll go. I went. I saw a tremendous, like, at least 10, 20 blocks line to get into this place. I went around the back, and he was there. And I spoke to him. He said, yes, I got your email. I'd love to have you on the show. He had me on the show. And within a month's time, circumstances just fell right into place. I ended up getting Rod Stewart and going back on tour with him. So when I've had experiences like that and talked to Jay about things like that, she's like, "That's you are uh, manifesting what it is that you want. Because, yeah, I put it out there. I want to get back in the business. I want to get back on tour. I want to get out there. And what did I do? Bam, Rod. So I know it can be done. Um, it's just a matter of the way we think. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that everyone you... is going to get every goal they set out for, but you must set your sights on what it is that you want, and the way you think about it has to um, continue to, like, uh, it's like you're continuing to create, and you recreate mm-hmm. and recreate. Because we all stumble and fall, but you have to get up and keep getting up. People that you find that are the most successful have been through tremendous obstacles, but it's the ones that don't let those obstacles stop them from pursuing their goal that reach it. Has there ever been a point where you were pursuing something and just it was like no after no after no type of thing, and maybe you start questioning, well, is this the right path? Is there a no. point for you that it was like, well, maybe I'm, and then you start questioning it as well, or you're you're thinking that that's maybe my mind tricking me or that's like fear tricking me, and and what are some things you do to get around that? Well, for one thing, I really don't believe in indulging fear because fear mm-hmm. kind of feeds on itself, um, mm-hmm. and I certainly experienced that to the extreme when I was a teenager, actually, um, between the self-awareness trainings and the meditation I got into, I saw The Exorcist. And I was around 16, and the film absolutely freaked me out. I was afraid during the day. I was afraid at night. 
I thought if someone as innocent as the main character in that film could be possessed by something so horrible, none of us are safe. And um, I met my guru internally and started learning about meditation, and those fears left me. It was quite paralyzing at the time. So I know fear is uh, like a monster. It's like a fire. You feed it, it's going to grow. Um, certainly there have been times when I was pursuing, uh, like trying to get another record deal after losing the one that I had and getting very close, and but it didn't go through. I just looked at it as a matter of timing, not that, oh, well, I'm not supposed to make a record and I'm not good enough. None of that went through my mind. I just knew that mm. it was a matter of timing and that um, I tended to be ahead of my uh, time in terms of some of my ideas. Like I had a song that um, I had, through the help of one of my um, arranging and produ- production partners, we had put a drum beat on the song that at the time was called Go-Go. And I thought, wow, this beat is fantastic. It just needs a good song. And I had a really good song, and we put it to that beat, and it was fantastic. And, you know, the record didn't come out. So what I saw and heard as the direction ended up becoming the thing that everybody did for the next few years. It was called New Jack Mm. Swing. It was that same drum beat, but it was put to a great song. So... I knew mm. that I had the ability to kind of see a little bit ahead of the curve. So I figured some of what I was doing was a little bit ahead of what everybody else was ready for and that my time would come. Now I don't feel the same pressure for that uh, because of the things I have been able to accomplish. And thankfully I still have ambitions to record and I'm working on a record with my sister Durga and I will have a chance to put some recordings out there with the way things have changed now, you don't necessarily have to have a big record company. You don't even have to have Mm -hmm. a huge budget to get out there thanks to YouTube and um, self-funding and whatnot. So I'll still get to achieve some of those goals. Let's check out this clip of Lorelai McBroom singing Stand By Me.
And that was Lorelai McBroom singing Stand By Me. What do you think of ageism as uh, something in the industry to be concerned with or not? Well, I feel that, yes, it is a reality, when you're, especially if you're dealing with um, the mainstream big record company uh, end of the industry. But you don't have to have all that to sell. Not today, mm-hmm. with the um, with the internet being what it is, giving you access to people internationally. As long as you have the right presentation and you know how to market yourself, I've seen um, people do incredibly well. And then also, you have to consider a person like um, Susan Boyle, who was in her fifties when she got the exposure through um, Simon Cowell's show. People didn't care mm-hmm. about her age. They liked her talent. I find yeah. for myself that even though um, I'm certainly not the same girl that I was, you know, at 20-something singing with Pink Floyd, I still have an appeal 
and it may be it really it doesn't uh, I don't think it really crosses people's mind about my age because I'm not trying to compete with Beyonce or Lady Gaga. Um, mm-hmm. People like my talent for what it is, and as long as the music is what they want to hear, uh, they don't care about that. As a matter of fact, I find yeah. young women, some of them anyway, that talk to me, they're kind of inspired by me because I am uh, older, but I've kept myself together. I look good. Um, I didn't let myself go, and I make an effort to stay healthy and project that. So I like to be an inspiration to another generation. I yeah. sing um, with the Australian Pink Floyd, and the other two singers I sing with are half my age, and they, uh, they're wonderful young ladies, and they learn things from me, and they appreciate my experience. And it's people like that that, yeah, they'll, they'll pick up on what I do. I'm really not worried yeah, about and, it. Yeah, that's and also nice. because of the, um, the fact that I'm able to travel in other countries, there are other countries I go to, Europe quite a bit. I've started working in South America. They don't really care about that age thing. That's a very American thing of, yeah. you know, kind of throw you out like a big lighter when they're done. <laughs> they they don't do that in other countries. So thankfully, again, because of the Internet and my ability to travel, I've been able to expose myself to people in other markets. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, this is your host, Astrum Luxlusis. Did you know this show is totally funded by donations and sponsors? Yes, listener support and sponsor ads is how On the Record stays on the air. I've produced and hosted over 40 shows since July of 2015, and next month marks our one-year anniversary. It also marks contract renewal time, and I need to raise $12,000 to keep On the Record on the air for another year. If you've enjoyed the amazing conversations I've shared with some of the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then please consider making a donation or buying a sponsor spot today. Contact me at astrum at ontherecord.rocks for more information. Again, that's astrum at ontherecord.rocks. Help me keep On The Record on the air for another year. Never has there been a better time for women to hack success. Shift is on and the breakthroughs are real. We're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. Bring your A game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back and we're speaking with Lorelai McBroom. Now, with your release that you want to do, what are some things that you would do to market yourself with that release? Like, would you hire a radio promoter and try to get on radio, or would you uh, stay with the Internet? And what what are some things you would do? Well, for one thing, um, we will do a a funding campaign at some point when we're ready. Um, We've already started recording. We've done a bunch of Pink Floyd songs that we really like, and we've done some original songs as well. So um, Durga and I are both active in social media, so we'll definitely use um, Facebook and Twitter to put it out there. Um, Our producer, Dave Kersner, has done a fantastic album himself. It's a progressive rock album that both Durga and I sang on. And so we're kind of following his model. He, He did a funding campaign with Kickstarter, 
um, we got a video done, also funded through Kickstarter, so that he can put examples of the record out there. He put the whole album on Bandcamp so that people can hear what they're going to buy. And uh, those kind of techniques work. I'm sure that we'll hmm. do some videos as well to go along with the recording. And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. And yeah. who knows? And anything is possible from there. It's, the key is to get people looking at it. I mean, Durga and I have a video mm-hmm. we did with the Australian Pink Floyd of Great Big in the Sky that's had over 600,000 views. So there's an wow. audience for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And would you do any touring with that project? Yes, absolutely. It's just yeah. going to take and a minute because she lives in L.A., yeah. I live in New York, he's in Miami, and yeah. we're both, you know, we're touring a lot, working, making a living. But it's coming. Yeah. What are some things you're doing now to get, I mean, I know you've got connections and stuff, but let's say <clears throat> somebody doesn't have connections. What would be some ways that you could possibly get in to become somebody's backing singer or a backing musician or something like that? Well, a very important way um, to meet people that a lot of people do is they go to jam nights where it's Mm -hmm. open, anybody can come, and if you're in a a great professional environment, Durga lives in L.A., and she said that she's going to jam nights out there all the time because there are a lot of musicians in Los Angeles, and so you meet people Mm -hmm. and you make contacts that way. You do favors sometimes for people. You sit in. Um, nowadays, many people have their own recording equipment at home, uh, and they use that. And I've also seen, um, with one of my favorite, uh, so quote unquote unknown bands is Dirty Loops. They're, um, out of Sweden. They do kind of fusion pop, for lack of a better word, because there's definitely a jazz element to their music, but... What they did, and I've seen other people do, is they record a well-known song, but they do it in their own version. That way, when Mm. people hear it, it's something they're familiar with. But then this group put their own style on these songs. They took some big hit songs, a song by Justin Bieber called Baby, uh, Circus by Britney Spears, uh, Rude Boy by Rihanna, but they did their version, and then people started listening and telling each other. And by word of mouth, three years later, they've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. And that led them to getting a record deal, led them to getting on tour. And um, by the time they put their first album out, they were able to do a world tour, which I thought was phenomenal for an unknown band. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of people do that. I've heard of people, another guy that um, – was doing journey songs and he had a great Mm. voice. He's from the Philippines and he has had over a million views and he was able to take that and make a record and start selling his own albums. No middleman, no record company. So he's getting, you know, a hundred percent of the profit. People are doing that. Well, how do you feel about, because so many people are doing that now though, rising above, that the just the the mess <laughs> that well, everybody's doing, you, you know. You have to get lucky and you have to be aggressive. And hopefully, if you have people representing you, they can get you into special slots, like the guy Dave Kersner I mentioned um, to the Edge with Yes last year, 
and um, mm. we're going to be doing it again next year. So that's giving him exposure to a completely uh, different crowd than maybe who might have heard about him through Facebook or on the Internet. But these are people who, because it suits the genre, they're going to support him. That's why they've asked him to come back. So, you know, there there are ways. It's just that you have to be innovative and you have to think outside the box. And it's worked for a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, cream is always going to rise to the top. So those who are more talented are going to go further and have a, a, um, a more longevity. So you said you had a media company. And so what inspired the creation of that? Well, when I got my record deal, I had um, a couple of attorneys that helped me start a production company. So I had a production deal. It wasn't just an artist deal. I was planning to sign other people and develop other people's talent, and I've always had an interest Mm -hmm. in that. So um, now that I'm back into it, I thought I would start a different company, start from scratch, and once I have a chance to get a little bit further along, I will do what I had planned to do initially, which is support other people in what they do. What capacity would you be supporting them in, like actual record producer in the studio, or what well, would that look I'm like? still, I'm still um, working on the different things that I would like to do because I'm not ready to get started with it yet. Uh, <clears throat> but certainly, um, I have an interest in. A story that my son wrote, it's a science fiction story that I would love to be able to publish and ultimately get it produced where people can see it, um, either as a mm. TV series or as a film. Um, that's something I'm very much interested in. Uh, I have an interest in television because I did study um, film when I went to college before I started the program at UCLA. Uh, mm-hmm. So there, there are definitely things in the world of visual arts I would like to pursue further. There was something mentioned on your website about you were going in the studio. I want to say it was with Earthwind and somebody from Earthwind and Fire, mm-hmm. and you yeah, were all calm. Um, yeah, you were all like calm, cool, and collected until like it was time to actually start singing the song, and then you kind of had like a little freak out moment because the guy <laughs> was there. Uh, so talk a little bit about that like what you know what's that like is you know it's like I've met celebrities and stuff um and and some of them you just kind of freak out around and you're like why am I freaking out (laughs) talk about that for yourself what happened was Niall um Rogers had um hooked me up with Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind and Fire Philip and Niall were making an album it was the album after the one that had Easy Lover on it and uh, Phil had a track, or Philip, I should say, had a track he had done, and he couldn't finish it. Um, it was just music. And it was uh, Philip, uh, I'm sorry, Phil Collins, Nathan East on bass, um, Gray Parker Jr. on guitar, Nathan East, uh, uh, George um, Duke. It was uh, a really pretty kind of, mid-tempo, adult contemporary kind of sounding track. So we wrote a song together, and he liked it, and I liked it, and so they wanted me to sing with him in the choruses of the song. And when he opened his mouth and I heard that Philip Bailey voice, that's when I freaked out, because I was a huge Earth, Wind & Fire fan in high school. 
I was like, oh, my God, I'm singing with Phil Bailey. And I was rushing, and I was, you know, I was out of the pocket. So he put his arm around me, and he kind of rocked me to the beat so that I wouldn't rush the song. And it came out very pretty. It's called Because of You. And I believe the song mm. is in a soundtrack for a film. I, I remember seeing that on a royalty statement once. So that was a wonderful experience. But they were very nice to me. They, you know, it's funny looking at it now. <clears throat> yeah. Especially when yeah. I consider how I've been around bigger stars than Philip, you know, working, singing duets with Mick Jagger and stuff like that. But it was just my adoration for Philip as a singer and the effect that Earth, Wind & Fire had on me was quite tremendous. Let's check out this song, Terminal Blues by Lorelai McBroom.
And that was Terminal Blues by Lorelai McBroom. Talk a little bit about um, some of the things you've learned in the business where your knowledge that you learned in school about the business have been really helpful. One of the most important things I learned from my production teacher, Nick Vinay, he was a wonderful guy. He had produced Tobacco Road for Lou Rawls. He produced a different drum for Linda Ronstadt. He'd worked with Glenn Campbell, um, Ricky Nelson, uh, numerous. T- he was he helped he signed the Beach Boys to Capitol, so he really wow. knew his thing. And the thing he emphasized most was relationships are everything. He said, mm. get to know the people that you're going to work with. Go to lunch with the guy who's your lawyer. If you think he's a jerk at lunch, he's going to be a jerk doing business for you. So get to know who mm. you're dealing with. And keep in touch with people. That's something that has helped me repeatedly. Um, I got my gig with Rod Stewart because of a relationship I had with somebody I was in a band with. His wife was working with Rod's manager. They just happened to invite me on a trip to Disneyland to take care of their daughter because they had to work. Again, and because of her relationship to me, just that day talking about my career, she was like, oh, well, I'll keep you in mind if anything ever happens. And she called me. Like within a couple of weeks, one of the other singers quit. My relationship or the effort I made, I didn't do it to take advantage of her relationship with Rod, but it was because we had kind of been friendly that she hooked me up. You know, um, that happens very often. Uh, it happened for one of the girls that I got on the Pink Floyd tour. I was in a restaurant. She was our waitress. I thought, this girl is really pretty. I wonder if she sings. And I just asked her casually if she was a singer. She said she was. And um, so I asked her to bring whatever she had by the studio. She brought her picture and whatever demo she had, and she ended up getting uh, to go on tour with Pink Floyd because of that. So you just never know when taking the time to be – decent. I mean, that's happened to me many times where someone asked me to do something. That's how I got Lou Reed. We were rehearsing with Nile for a, it was a big benefit that Paul Simon was doing to raise money for the medical mobile units that you see driving around Manhattan so that kids can have um, medical help. And um, mm-hmm. Lou Reed was rehearsing after us. Grace Jones and Debbie Harry were the background singers, but they weren't coming to the rehearsal. So somebody in, in Lou's crew asked me, would I mind sitting in? I said, no problem. I got my friend Roberta to come and do it with me, and we ended up doing the Grammy show because of that. Wow, nice. Mm -hmm. So I would say that was the most important lesson out of those classes I took. Yeah, and I think you even, like, hit it a little harder with saying that, you know, basically being a decent person and not doing it for personal gain, but just being authentic um it's like just being like a human you know not like oh you're connected to so and so i'm going to try to get to know you so that you can you know get me somewhere because that usually doesn't work anyhow it usually backfires for the person you know so well believe and that's that's one of the things that that i (laughs) yeah yeah well one of the things just even communicating with you before we set up the interview here i was just you know impressed of how how eager you were to converse with me. Like there wasn't like, cause you know, there's been other 
celebrities that I've gone after to interview on the show and you just, you have to go through their people and jump through all these hoops and then, you know, their people are rude to you and it's just like, look, you know, you want to do the show or not, you know, and you were mm-hmm. just very personable and, and, you know, like almost like um, sort of going out of your way to sort of like, yeah, let's make this happen kind of thing. And, and then, like, I went on your website, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, wow. <laughs> She's really cool. <laughs> so, well, the thing um, is, uh, very early on, um, I met Lisa Fisher. She's the woman that <clears throat> um, I actually, uh, I met her when I first auditioned for the Rolling Stones. Um, and she was on tour with Luther Vandross the summer that I got to sing with them. But she made a huge impression on me because this woman has sung with everybody and God. I mean, she she's worked with the Rolling Stones, <clears throat> excuse me, for over 20 years. She's sung with Tina Turner. She's toured with Sting. I mean, you name it, she's worked with them. She was at that thing for Paul Simon, too. <clears throat> and she made an impression on me because she's a very lovely person. She's in that movie, uh, 20 Feet from Stardom. And it was her way of being. She's very friendly, very warm, really down to earth. But when you hear her sing, she's got a five octave range. She's won a Grammy for How Can I Ease the Pain. She's a phenomenal talent, but no ego. And I thought, wow, she made me feel so comfortable. I want to be like that. Yeah, And so I've, you know, made it a point to try to be nice to people um, and make myself accessible because it it pays off, really, in the long run. I've had people be quite kind to me because I was open and nice to them. Well, let's see if you can top that. We're we're nearing the end. And uh, do you have any final words of wisdom that you can share with us? Well, I would say for those who are aspiring artists, it is like the lottery. Um, it's not an easy career. I would say that... Uh, I've said this before, if it's something that you feel like you cannot live without, then pursue it. You may not be famous, you may not be able to get on the big stage, but that doesn't mean that you can't still pursue your songwriting or your singing or performing for um, locally or whether you get to, you know, go on TV and do the the big show. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, is that it's very important to believe in yourself and there are many people who have gotten very successful who are also very insecure, and those people tend to have the biggest trouble with their success. Um, so it's very important to be a balanced human being, like you said, because even though it's great to be on stage and get all that adulation and people, you know, looking up to you and throwing money at you <laughs> and whatnot, <laughs> at the end of the day, you need to be able to live with yourself and hopefully, um, share something that makes someone else's life a little bit better, which is why a lot of us perform is to touch other people with our gift. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week.
Let's go.